Thank you for listening to Devoted. We meet every week on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. at Calvary Chapel, East Anaheim. All right, if you have your Bibles, open to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. You know, we were in our study of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Last week we studied the law of God, and this week we were supposed to study... Uh, the, the gospel, the good news, and, and how the law of God and the gospel go together. And I was thinking about that and preparing for that and excited about that. And God really pressed on my heart that we needed to, to do something else with tonight. And so, um, in a, an effort to be obedient to the leading of God, that's what we're going to do. Um, so tonight, I have a, a short message for us. And uh, a, a really uh, challenge, I'm going to call us to action. I'm going to call us to do something. And then uh, what I'm calling us to do, though, begins with praying. We'll have it actually at the end of it a time to get together and, and to pray specifically for our nation, for this election, for things that are going on. But I really am going to challenge us to, to take the next, especially a few weeks, seriously. And uh, because there's a lot going on. So let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll get into the study for tonight. Actually, let me read Ephesians, starting in uh, chapter 6, verse 10. I'll read through verse 20, and then I'll pray. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the might of his strength. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against rulers, against authorities, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded up your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, having taken up the shield of faith, uh, with which you are able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, also receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times with all prayer and petition in the Spirit, and to this end, being on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints as well as on my behalf, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, so that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So God, I pray right now that you will take these words written by a man named Saul of Tarsus, later to be Paul, the Apostle Paul, and you'll make them relevant for today. Where we live in an evil world, a world that's getting darker and darker, a world that needs your light more and more. And the, the sad part is I see less and less participation of the church, less and less of us be, trying to be salt and light. I, I, I pray that that would change. I pray that you would give us a boldness, Lord, that we would be everything that you made us to be, everything that you want us to be and that we would shine bright in this culture. 
I pray that we would be salt and light, Lord, that we would get up, that we would join the battle, and that you would use us for righteousness, Lord. I pray that you would grant our nation repentance and turn us back to you, Lord. I pray that this election coming up, that righteousness would prevail, Lord, and that our country would realize that we need you, we would turn to you, and you would restore our land. So we love you. We give you tonight. We give you our lives. We give you this nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So like I said, tonight's going to be a little bit different. What I want to do is go through this, uh, talk about a few things, and then what we'll do is we'll get into groups, maybe of three, and spend a few time, a few minutes praying for a handful of these points that I'm going to talk about tonight regarding our nation. But we really are at what I think is a crossroads. I think we're at a, a very pivotal time for our country. I believe that this election that we are in the midst of right now, people are already voting. I was planning on doing this next week, but I realized that we're already voting. This is already happening. And so we need to get about our father's business now we need to, to, to start doing something. Um, I do believe that this is the most consequential election in our lifetime, maybe in our country's history. And let me tell you why. Uh, probably about a year ago, maybe a little bit more, there started to be talks that Roe versus Wade could be overturned. And people started asking me, hey, Joe, do you think Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned? Do you think this is actually happening? And I'm like, well, you know, we've got the Supreme Court, we've got enough conservatives there that they're talking about it. If they take the case, then, then yeah, I do think it'll be overturned. I, I, I think that, you know, it was such a bad law that if they seriously look at it, and, you know, we have this super majority of conservatives on the Supreme Court that they're, they're going to overturn it. And, and I think that we did the right thing in overturning it. I, I think we always need to do what's right. We always need to do the righteous thing. And that was obviously the righteous thing to do. But I said this, I said, it's going to get overturned, but it's going to end up almost backfiring on us. I, I, I said, it, it, it's going to end up, uh, we're going to overturn Roe versus Wade, and it's going to swing the pendulum back so far that it's going to end up hurting our cause. That, uh, you know, it, 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 in a sense, we're going to win the battle and lose the war type of thing. And a lot of people didn't really understand that at the time. But now I've seen some things that are, are starting to make some sense to me and, and see how that might be so. You know, Joe Biden said the other day that if they retain the House and the Senate, that the Democrats do, that they're going to do away with the filibuster and they're going to make basically what Prop 1 is, right, in California, this bill that's on our law or on our election on our ballot to extend the right to abortion all the way up until the time of birth and make it so that the state will pay for abortions, make it so that anyone that wants an abortion or any type of procedure or thing like that has absolute privacy where no one could ever know about it and things like that, that's going to actually become national law. That he's going to do everything he can to enshrine that national law. Now, the filibuster, as far as appointing nominations, is like uh, 
like a Supreme Court justice, things like that. That's already been done away with. But legislatively, it hasn't. And, and so what this will do, not only will it create this horrible law in America that uh, babies can be aborted whenever, uh, up until birth and even after birth, and, you know, just crazy stuff like that, it, it's going to move us away from being the republic that we've been. If they're willing to say, you know what, we're going to do away with the legislative filibuster and anything that we think is a big enough priority, we're just going to push it through because we've got house, the House and we've got the Senate and we can. They're just going to do that, you know, and they're going to make the laws that secure that they still have power. And once that's done, once that's done for this abortion case, it's going to happen more and more and more. And next thing you know, we're not a republic. Next thing you know, we're not America. Next thing you know, we are uh, an authoritative dictatorship where we're no different than any other country. And so the real question is, do we, do we, do we like America? Do we like being free? Do we, do, we, do we value having the country that God's blessed us with? But it's not too late. We can turn back to God. And what is... God say in 2 Chronicles 7.14, he says, And my people who are called by my name, but all humble themselves, and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, and I'll forgive their sin, and I'll hear their land. Right? So, so, so it, it's not over. God, God can still move. And if we've seen God move in such radical ways and do such radical things throughout the Bible, what makes us think that we can't or he can't fix what we have going on now. I mean, think about this. The children of Israel, over a million slaves, are, are stuck in bondage in, in, in Egypt, and, and, and they're being oppressed, and, and they think that there's no shot. Right? But God saves them through parting of the Red Sea and drowning the Egyptian army. If God could do that, to bring the children of Israel out into the, uh, the land that he created for them, and drive out all the enemies and give them the land and sell them there, he could heal our land as well. We also need to see that God has given us a, a political capital. He wants us to be involved in the political situation. You know, the, I, I sometimes hear this, and, and I used to think this. Well, I, I read my Bible. In the early church, they didn't care about politics. You never see, you know, Paul talking about politics. You never see anything about that in the New Testament. And that's true. But you've got to think about this. What was the context that they were living in? They were living in the first century Roman Empire where, you know, they had absolutely no political capital. They had absolutely no say in what was going on in their country. I guarantee you if they did, if they were living in the political environment that we were living in, Paul would have been exhorting them to do all kinds of political things. You know, he would be exhorting them to use that political capital for righteousness. Use it for the kingdom of God. To, to stand up and, and, and use your voice. Because really what it comes down to is stewardship. That, that is really what it is. We're to take everything that God has given us, whether it's our time, whether it's our finances, whether it's you know, our, our job, our family, our friends, everything. And we're to use it in a way that affects the kingdom of God. We're to use it for righteousness. 
And one day we're going to stand before God and have to give an account for the things that he's given us, this stewardship that he's given us. And part of that's going to be, hey, I put you in a country where you actually had a say. You actually had a voice. You didn't, you, you know, you weren't living in, in Iran where you just had to do whatever they told you. You weren't living in North Korea where, you know, if you spoke up, you'd get shot and killed. I put you in America, the freest country, the most blessed country ever, and what did you do with it? Did you use it for the kingdom of God? Did you speak up? Did you use these freedoms that people have died for to worship and to praise me and to give me the preeminence that I deserve? Or did you waste it? We don't want to be like that guy who took his mina or his talent and just hid it away and said, I was scared. I didn't know what to do. So I just hid it. Here you go. What did God say to that servant? Oh, well, wicked servant. He took what he had and gave it to somebody else. James says every good and perfect gift comes down from God. The fact that we live here, the fact that we have this voice is because God gave it to us and he wants us to use it for his glory. Amen? So Ephesians 6. The first thing we need to do is we need to realize that this is primarily a spiritual battle. Don't know the word spiritual battle. Look at verses 10 through 12. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the might of his strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We need to realize that we're in a battle. Paul uses this language in other places. He, he likens this Christian walk, our Christian life, to being in a battle. He likens us to soldiers. And so some of us need to start there. We need to realize that there's this spiritual battle going on around us. And, 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 and start being aware of that and start living in light of that. That, that we have spiritual enemies, that we have rulers and, 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 and powers and uh, spiritual forces of wickedness trying to oppose God's will and trying to keep God's will from happening and trying to keep us from being in God's will and, and doing what God wants us to do. But there's this spiritual battle. And, and our weapons for this spiritual battle need to be spiritual weapons. This election isn't going to be won because, you know, we've come up with the greatest conservative strategies and we've got the most get-out-the-vote signs and, 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 and we're, you know, knocking on doors and telling people to vote and collecting ballots and all that. that that's not what's going to win this election. We need to see that this election is first and foremost a spiritual battle. And if it's going to be one, it's going to be one with spiritual weapons. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 that our weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, but they're mighty for the pulling down of, of strongholds, of fortresses. The word of God and prayer can destroy the works of the enemy. And, and, and everything that the, the Democrats are trying to do, that the, the enemy is trying to do, and these unrighteous laws that they're trying to be, they, they can be stopped. And it's going to be stopped because we're praying. 
Because we're getting on our knees and we're crying out to God. And, and, and we're researching or we're praying and we're seeking God for righteousness. We're seeking God for revival. We're seeking God for a pouring out of his spirit on America. But it's a spiritual battle and we need to use spiritual weapons. And, and, and now that we know that we're in a battle, that we've been enlisted to fight in this, we need to armor up. We need to get ready for this fight. You don't just go out and, and, and start fighting. We don't just take people when they turn 18 and say, great, you know, you're enlisted in the military. Here's an M16. Go to, and drop them off in Fallujah. No, we take them and make them go through basic training and boot camp. And we teach them how to use their weapon. And we get them ready for battle so that when we go out there, we're, we're able to, they're able to be effective. They're able to stand a chance. And it's the same thing for us. We can't just go out and get into this fight that's going on when we walk out of our door. We need to armor up. We need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verses uh, 13 through 17. Paul says, Therefore take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore, having girded up your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, having taken up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Also receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We've got all these accessories that are to protect us and that we're to fight with, but they all point to one thing. They, they, they point to Jesus. There's aspects of these, every single one of these that, that, that are uh, reflections of, of Jesus Christ. The belt of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth incarnate. The breastplate of righteousness. Well, Jesus is my righteousness. We are, are saved by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. We shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to put on Jesus and stand firm in Jesus, the helmet of our salvation. Our salvation is all in Jesus. Our shield of faith. Faith, it comes from the Lord Jesus. I love Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20, in the modern version, says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I live in the faith, in the life that I live, I live uh, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Well, I love the King James Version of that. It says, I am, present tense, crucified. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and was crucified, gave himself up for me. You see the difference? It's not faith in the Son of God. It's actually Christ's faith. When we present tense present ourselves crucified and say, you know what, I'm not going to live for my will, but I'm going to live for Christ's will, we are imputed. We're, we're given Christ's faith, a supernatural faith that we can live out. And we point that, we have that sword, and we point that in the direction of the enemy, and he has no chance. It will be like those demons in, in Legion and Gadara. They'll be like, hey, just, just don't destroy us yet. Let us go into these pits. Don't, don't cast us into 
We haven't answered our time yet. We got the sword of the Spirit. We got the Word of God. When we can live that out, when we apply that to our situation, we start to have victory. So He's given us all of these resources, but we gotta put them on. We gotta take some time and, and start thinking about Jesus. And then we go into battle. It'd be pretty foolish, right? To you know, you're in the military to just go out on the battlefield, do your patrol without putting on your armor. But how many times do we walk out into the battlefield of life, the battlefield of this world, this spiritual battlefield, but we haven't put on our armor. So we're, we're, we're not ready for, for what we're going to walk into. And we blow it. We blow our opportunities to share our faith. We blow our opportunities to minister to people. We blow our opportunities to stand up for righteousness. We blow all these opportunities because we haven't put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not ready when we walk out of our door. So we need to armor up. It's not enough then just to know that there's this war, and even to armor up. We actually also have to go and get into the fight. Right? There's, there's all kinds of ways in, in our culture that we could engage. And God's calling us to engage in and to get in this fight and start trying to make a difference. And right now, he's given us a wonderful opportunity by exercising our vote, by encouraging others to vote, by, by doing everything we can with this political process. And a big part of that is praying. Right? You, you can't do anything until you pray. And I think we don't pray because we don't understand the power of prayer. We don't understand, we don't actually believe that if we pray, it's going to make a difference. Maybe we say, yeah, I'll go vote, I've done that. But getting up and fasting and spending time on your knees and seeking the Lord for this, do we actually believe that that's going to make a difference? Do we actually believe that if I do that, God might let us win this election? That we, we might actually start having righteous laws? God might actually give us leaders that have the values that we want? We need to get into the fight. And the first and best way that we could get into the fight is to pray. It, it, it's a spiritual weapon. It, it, it's, it's able to take them strongholds. Do you know what a stronghold is? In that culture, a stronghold was a, a last resort. It was the high place where they would keep all their weapons, where they would keep their supplies, so that when the enemy came, he took everything else. They had this one last stronghold where they were fortified, where they had the high spot, where it's like you can take everything else, but you ain't getting this. We've got this so fortified, and we're so ready to fight. We're so ready to protect ourselves. This is our, our last resort. This is our stronghold. And the enemy's got those. He's got all kinds of them in our culture. And God is telling us that prayer, our weapon is strong enough to destroy those, to pull that down. Do we believe that? That is the question. Are we going to believe the word of the Lord? Are we going to believe that when we pray, something actually happens? And I got to confess, I haven't been praying like the Lord wants me to, especially concerning the election, especially concerning this political stuff. That's becoming clear to me. And so tonight we're going to have a chance to do that. But we need to pray. And I think part of the reason we don't pray for our nation is we don't know how. Other than saying, God, you know, help our land, forgive our land, 
give us revival, you know, things like that, which are good things to pray. We, 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 we practically don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray for our nation. We've, we've never practically done it. And so I pray that tonight would be a help in that, that it would show us some ways that we can pray for our nation. Again, Second Chronicles 7.14. You know what? I'm going to turn there. This, this was so fascinating to me. Second Chronicles 7.14. Actually, the, the verse is right before it. Verse 11. And so the context of this, uh, they had built the, the, the temple. Remember, David, they built the, Moses, they had built the tabernacle, and that was going to follow them through the wilderness, and then it was set up in Jerusalem, and that was the place where God dwelt. And then David built this giant palace and was like, man, I live in a mansion, and God lives in a tent. That's not right. I want to build a house for the Lord. And Nathan's like, yeah, that's great. Do it. Nathan leaves, and God talks to Nathan and says, why'd you tell him to do that? I never told you that was okay. He's like, you need to go back and tell him no, that you can't do that. You're a man of bloodshed. You've got blood on your hands. You're not going to build God's house. But you know what? One of your descendants, I'm going to build you a house. One of your lineage is going to sit on my throne forever. And David took it serious. He said, you know what? One of my descendants is going to build the house of the Lord. He said, we've got all the supplies ready. Solomon uh, once his dad David went to be with the Lord, once he died, he, he takes the blueprints and he starts to build the house of the Lord. And he builds the temple. The temple was marvelous. It, it was magnificent. It was huge. It was, an, it, it was a miracle. And then they dedicate it. And the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory, comes down and fills it like smoke. And everybody could notice, the glory of the Lord is here. So much so that the priests couldn't even minister. They couldn't even be in there because the heaviness of the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then Solomon says this. He says, Thus Solomon completed the house of Yahweh and the king's house, and all that had come into Solomon's heart to do in the house of Yahweh, and in his house he did successfully. And then Yahweh appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. It is if I shut up the heavens so there's no rain. Do you know California is in the biggest drought that we've ever had? Or if I command the grasshopper to devour the land. Right? That was their crops. Have you been to the grocery stores lately? Or if I send pestilence among my people. That's, that's disease. Right? These are the things that God says he's going to judge people with through their idolatry. This is what's going on. It says this. If, if that happens, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will listen from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. We need to pray for our nation. It's not too late. So we need to start. How do we start praying for our nation? Well, we start with Thanksgiving. That, that's where we need to start. We need to start giving thanks for what God has done, what God has given us, the good things that we have. In Psalm 
100, verse 4, it says, Enter his gate with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. We need to start there. In Romans 1, part of the reason that people are getting turned over, their wicked hearts are getting turned over, and they're being turned over to greater and greater sin, and the consequences of this sin and this idolatry is because they didn't honor God. They didn't give thanks. If we're not going to be faithful enough to, to thank God for the blessings that he's given us, why should we assume that he's going to give us more or even allow us to retain those blessings that we have? So we need to start there. We need to start with giving thanks for the things that God has given us. The things that we can thank him for. But we need to realize also that we are part of the problem. So fill in for the Thanksgiving and then the next one that we problem. We need to realize we're part of the problem. And this comes with confession, filling confession. In Second Chronicles seven fourteen, there it says that if they will turn from their wicked ways, humble themselves. These things go with confession. We need to confess that we're part of the problem because we are. Maybe because we haven't been praying the way that we should. And God's allowed the nation to become like it is. Maybe because we haven't taken our political capital seriously and voted like we should and encouraged others to vote like they should. The nation is the way it is. Maybe because we haven't taken evangelism seriously as a church and we've left out the great commission. The nation is the way it is. But all of us, to some degree, are responsible. We are all part of the problem. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.17, For it is time to judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the outcome of those who did not obey the gospel of God? The church is weak. It really is right now. Our church may not be, but the church in general is full of false teaching, a false gospel, false worship, you know, people just playing church. And, and it's weak. And it's not duplicating like it should. It's not regenerating. It's not, you know, expanding like it should. And because of that, our, our nation is suffering. God's judging the church, and because of that, the nation is suffering. And if he's willing to judge our, our church and allow it to be as weak as it is, what's he going to allow to happen to the nation? But we need to realize we're part of the problem. So we need to start with thanksgiving, and then we need to confess our sins and our culpability in the problem. Next, we need to pray for our rulers. We need to pray for the rulers that God has given us. If we're not going to be faithful with that, if we're not going to be faithful to pray for the rulers that God's given us, the people that we don't like, the people that we want to get rid of, why would God change them? Maybe he's put them there to get us to pray. He cares more about our hearts than he does America. I'll tell you that. Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. He says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings may be behalf on all men. 
for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Maybe the person you're praying for, that they'll get saved, maybe your neighbor, your family member, that stubborn rebel, that prodigal, maybe they're not getting saved because you're not praying for our leaders. I mean, that sounds pretty crazy, but that's what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. That we're to pray for all rulers, that we can lead a tranquil life, and that all can come to the knowledge of the truth, that people can get saved. I don't want to pray for them. Uh, they're wicked. I don't want to pray for Joe Biden. I had some people, you know, when Pastor Bob said that, they were like, my dad was one of them. I was like, I have a problem with that. I'm not going to pray for him. Like, I hate that guy. There's no way I could do that. <laughs> okay, don't pray for him because he's your ruler. Pray for him because he's your enemy. Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you and spitefully use you. Pray for him in that regard. You're doubly commanded to pray for him. Pray for him. We're to love everybody. And we're to love our enemies. And you're not going to be able to love somebody that you're not praying for. And, and, and not just your, your enemies that are rulers. Pray, pray for the Democrats. How are you going to practically love this person that you work with who's got a different political ideology than you if you're not praying for that person? If you're not first and foremost seeking their spiritual welfare over your uh, political comforts. We need to pray for our rulers. Once we pray for the rulers that God has given us, once we fulfill that requirement, then we can pray for the rulers we want him to give us. We can pray God gives us righteous and godly leaders. Feeling righteous and godly. We can, we can pray for this election. And we should. We, we should be praying. God, give us righteous rulers. God, give us rulers after your heart. God, give us rulers that will reflect your values. Because when we're praying for these things, we're realizing that God is the one who places kings. God is the one who chooses our rulers. This is why it's such a spiritual battle. This is why praying is so important, because God is the one who's going to choose our ruler. We may think that we've got this thing called democracy and this is so great and, and we can take votes and we get to choose who our rulers are and all this. Woo-hoo. No, that's not true. God chooses who our rulers are. That's what it says. That's what the Bible says. In Daniel 2.21 it says, It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and he establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. God's given us Joe Biden. God has a purpose for Joe Biden. And we can rest in that. We can rest that knowing that the God who says that he works all things together for our good has chosen Joe Biden to be our leader. And we can pray for Joe Biden by faith and trust that God is going to use that to grow our faith and to draw us closer to him. But he also wants to, to pray for this upcoming election. Election. He wants us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
We should be praying that a righteous person is put on that seat, that someone that will make righteous laws and laws that will honor the Lord. So we got to go pray for this upcoming election. Romans 13, 1, every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Whoever is there, again, will be established by God. Lastly, we need to keep the light on, the word light. We need to pray for our witness during this election. Matthew 5, 13-16, You are the salt of the earth, but the salt has become tasteless. How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by a man. You are the light of, under a basket. Put on, but on the earth. No, I'm sorry, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, we need to remember that our kingdom is not of this world. And and our first and foremost responsibility is to be light for the kingdom. We we, we should be more concerned about our witness than, than we are about winning an election. Yeah, we want to win an election. Yeah, we want righteousness. But our witness is more important because we represent the heavenly kingdom before we represent America. Where we, we could go and win an election, but if we lose our witness in the process, we've lost. We, we, we failed. And right now is a perfect time to be witnessing to the Lord. And ultimately, the way that this election, the way that uh, revival is going to happen in America is through repentance and through the gospel. The gospel needs to be being preached. And we need to conduct ourselves in a time during this election when it doesn't kill our witness, especially to the other side. So we need to be praying for our nation, and these are ways that we can. But lastly, we, we need to do. There, there, there's something that, that we need to do. We, we, we need to go vote. Maybe you can do all of that and get so distracted from, from doing the actual thing that God is calling you to do. That is to vote. James 4.17, it says, Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, the end of the sin. So it's in not exercise this stewardship and the voting that God has given us. That would be sinful. God, God is calling us to do that. The question is, are Lastly, we need to trust and we need to rest in Him. We need to trust and we need to rest in Him. In Philippians chapter 4, 
Paul gives the prescription for rest. He gives the prescription for peace. You know, right now, it's so easy to be stressed out and so worried about what's going on. You know, I, I started talking about how, you know, uh, there's this thing called Prop 1 that more than likely is going to win in California and, and abortion is going to become more legal. And there's a chance that it might become a national thing. Uh, that's kind of scary. That's kind of crazy. You look at the news and it's it's all crazy. We don't know what's going to happen after this election. We don't know what the effects of this are going to be. It could be bad. But you know what? We, we don't have to be freaked out. We don't have to be anxious. We can rest. We can have peace. Paul says this in Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is dignified, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, consider these things. Did you hear what Paul said? Just be anxious for nothing, but in all things with prayer and supplication, more prayer, and thanksgiving that your request be known to God. And the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Well, if we go through this and we actually apply this to our life, what did we just do? We've given thanks. We've, we've prayed. We've supplicated. We've let our petitions be known, be made known to God. We have absolutely no reason to not think that he isn't going to give us peace, that he isn't going to protect our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We have no reason to be freaked out. We can trust that he is in control. He is sovereign. He is working out his plan for the universe. That he is working all things together for our good. He's taking all these circumstances and using them to make us more like Jesus. He's using it to accomplish his plan for the universe and to bring about his drama of redemption. And we've got the last book. We know exactly what's going to happen. That the Lord is going to return on a white horse and we're going to be with him. And all the armies of the world are going to gather themselves against Christ and his anointed. And then a sharp two-edged sword is going to come out of his mouth and destroy them all. And he's going to set up a kingdom of righteousness. And the one righteous kingdom with the righteous king is going to rule and reign for a thousand years. Amen? So we don't need to pray. But we need to pray. We need to get into the battle. And so right now, I'm going to call us to do just that. These points of prayer that I have, uh, starting with Thanksgiving, confession, praying for our rulers, praying for the election, and praying for our witness during this time. We're going to have a few minutes to pray for each one of us. So what I want us to do is break up into groups of maybe three of us. And we'll spend maybe four minutes or so, four or five minutes on each one of these praying, uh, and, and we'll close out our night that way. And then uh, we'll have Diana uh, come and lead us in a couple of songs. But let me pray for us, and then we can get into that. God, I just I, I pray, I pray for our nation, and I pray you grant this repentance, Lord. I pray you bring about revival. We need you, Lord. We want America to be a land of your blessings. We want to. Be a light to the nations, Lord, and that won't happen 
unless you move, unless you do some things, Lord. Let's start with our hearts. May revival begin with us, Lord, and, 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 and may we affect your kingdom here on this earth, Lord. So help us to be bold. Help us to pray. Help us to tell people to stand up for righteousness, Lord, and, and may you just do almighty work. So we love you. I pray that this time would be acceptable and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.